1: The birth of a legend.
2: 458 is the total, out of which Bradman has made 309, not out, to world's record. To God, the crowd
1: wins God, the the First ball in test cricket in England for Shane Morton, and he's done it, and he started off with the most beautiful delivery. Yeah! Australia have done it. Australia. Welcome to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Here's your host, Sam Edmund.
0: Hello everybody and welcome to the show. As always, we're here for our friends at Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Well, today we're in for a real treat. We're about to be joined by Australian Cricket Royalty, a right-handed batsman, and right arm fast medium bowler Shane Watson last year walked away from all forms of the game as one of the most influential white ball all-rounders of his era. A captain in all formats... Watson is a dual Allen Border medalist who also holds the record for the highest ODI score by an Australian with 185 not out. Shane Watson lived a boyhood dream and then a bit more. Shane, welcome. Thanks for joining us.
2: My pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: So you've been retired now from, well, all international cricket since 2016 and all forms of the game since only last year. How has the adjustment been after a career spanning, what, 20 odd years and after what I'm sure felt like a long journey as a kid and a teenager to, to even start that journey?
2: Yeah, look, it's been, um, I feel, there's no question, I feel incredibly fortunate to have, um, have played for as long as I have and lived, lived my dream for as long as I have as well, up until sort of the end of end of last year and the, the last IPL being my my last tournament that I've uh, played. Um, and now moving on to the next phase of my life has been, I suppose I've set things up over the last couple of years, uh, in knowing that it's, it's going to be an end point at some stage. So I'm um, you know, getting into things that I... That I absolutely that I love. Um, it's a, a new world away from the cricket playing world. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm loving sort of having more time with my family, and um, and my uh, involvement with the Players Cricket Players Association, and also T20 Stars, the new cricket business that I've set up as well
0: will come to life after the game shortly. But I imagine, Shane, retirement, you know, prompts a great deal of reflection. How do you look back on your career itself? The honours, the records, they, they could take up this show's a lot of time if I was to read them out. So how full is the cup, so to speak?
2: <laughs> um, look, the cup is as full as it can be in regards to I gave it everything I possibly could. I certainly... I. I, well, I know I look back with um, knowing that I gave it every single thing that I possibly could. I you know, squeezed as much as I possibly could out of um, you know, the talent talent that I had that I had, and um, and in the end, I suppose in anything in life, that's all you really um, hope to sort of know that you've sort of done everything you possibly could to achieve um, as much as you can. So, and then you know, I look back, and it's you know, retirement's definitely given me time to reflect on. How incredibly fortunate that I've that I've been throughout my career, um, with the teams that I've played in, the, um, you know, the opportunities that I've had as, as well, and the people who've sort of believed in and, and mentored me, and the faith that's been shown in me is, you know, I feel crazily fortunate and and lucky. And uh, yeah, now that I now that I've stopped playing, it sort of it's sort of pinch myself in a way to think, wow, was that actually really me doing, know um, yeah, doing those things I was able to do.
0: Yeah, and you've lived this, and you now look on in an official capacity with the ACA and some commentary duties to come as well. But does Australia have an unhealthy obsession, do you think, with finding an all-rounder?
2: <laughs> I wouldn't say it's unhealthy. It's a great thing if you're if you're an all-rounder because because there's always going to be opportunities for you, uh, and that's and that's a beauty. of those right place, right time, being a fast bowling all-rounder when I first came you know, onto the scene, Australian cricket, even though they had an incredible incredible depth throughout their throughout their ranks they were sort of this appetite for an all-rounder so um you know i was right place right time wanting to be i was that person wanting to be that person as well and it's gonna it's always going to continue because uh, being an all-rounder it it does sort of just give more options for for a team from a bowling perspective from a batting perspective as well so um it's always I suppose it's always going to continue because the one thing I have realised as well throughout my career it's it's not that easy, especially from a from a physical perspective alone. There's various challenges that always come in trying to be an all rounder, mm. especially a fast bowling all rounder as well. So it's um it's not it's not the easiest course of um of um you know of your career, but certainly provides so many opportunities.
0: So it was more excited by the opportunity for you personally coming through rather than being suffocated suffocated by the pressure, perhaps that balance. you were more with the former than the than the latter.
2: I knew within the team environment that I was playing in that it was just I had more opportunities than someone if I was just predominantly a batsman, for example, mm-hmm. like I had many more opportunities. There's no way that I would have uh, played or been in around the Australian squad at the age of twenty if I was just a batsman or the same thing as I was just a bowler. So the opportunities that it provided I was I fully understood the opportunities that I got because of being an all-rounder. There's no question that it, sort of the expectations, I allowed them to suffocate me for periods of time as well, especially when I was younger, I didn't really understand how to deal with it as well as I, you know, as well as I could. So there's no doubt that it did at, at times really, um, yeah, that expectation did sort of um, weigh on my shoulders pretty heavily. But, but deep down, I knew within the teams I was playing and gosh, the opportunities that it provided, I wouldn't have got if I was just a you know, specialised. A specialised cricketer.
0: Yeah, well, that's pretty gracious of you to say. But what about social media? We know that can be a vicious space, and history is littered with sportsmen and sportswomen who have fallen down a dark spiral, being consumed by that <laughs> side of it. Were you in that basket? Did you find yourself keeping tabs on that, and also the mainstream media as well during your career, or were you able to block it out?
2: Social media, I always um, stayed away from engaging with, as in like reading. Uh, that's one thing that I certainly just did not do whatsoever. I, was, I, I gradually sort of gradually got onto social media, but I certainly never read it um, because I just didn't want to sort of, um, you yeah, potentially go down a, 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 spir- a in a spiral, <laughs> digging, digging into myself um, just with some of the um, comments that's, that's going to be there. Um, and the negative ones are the things that do stand out the most. But the media in general, the, the broader media, I suppose my way of dealing with it because, uh, was just to try and not read it. Um, that was my way of trying to just keep a equilibrium in my own mind of exactly where i was at and not allowing sort of outside influences sort of direct me in how i sort of felt about where my game was at and how i was performing and what the things i need to work on so that was my way of sort of of dealing with it, it was just not not to read it um there's no doubt I always found out about things a lot of the times if things happen but um, I just tried to sort of stay away from it because I knew it has some really positive articles which were great, but a uh, you know one negative one would sort of really hit me hit me really hard and um, I'd really go internal. So I just mm. stayed away from that infiltrating into my mindset.
0: Do you see much of yourself in Cam Green? <laughs> um,
2: I'd love to have had his skill at the age that he <laughs> the age that he is. Um, you know, with his from his batting perspective, he really. Um, Seems like he's in such control of his game. He's dominated in first-class cricket as well, which means he really understands his game. He's hot, he's tall, so he gets more he gets more bounce as a as a bowler as well. He can bowl at good speed. So, um, gosh, I wish I wish I had the skill that, that Cam Green um, has and and capacity like he has as well to be able to bat for long periods of time. Mm. He's got the power game that we saw in the Sydney Test as well. So, he's a he's a special talent that's for sure. Um, which. It's, yeah, it's it's so exciting to be able to see. Yeah. Have you had much to
0: do with him, Shane? Can I ask? Or are you more just watching online no, like, like the rest yeah. of us? His... Yep. Oh,
2: it's watching from afar. Yeah, I, I've had nothing to do with him at all. Um, um, unfortunately, in a way, at this point in time, because um, I do see, well, I know exactly what he's going through. And I sort of um, experienced that from the age of 20, like he yeah, has all the way through, through my career. And there's sort of... The great things but also the pitfalls that sort of can can come in as well. Yeah. But no, I've just been admiring from afar really at this point in time.
0: Well you've had plenty to keep you busy by the looks of things this year. Obviously Fatherhood with with your wife Lita, Will and Matilda. You're at the ACA you mentioned and you've started a business as well, haven't you? Now tell us about T mm. twenty stars. I had a quick look at this. Last night, this is a, a, a hugely admirable uh, business you're embarking on here. For those that are unfamiliar, tell us about T Twenty Stars, Shane.
2: Yeah, T Twenty Stars. There's, there's two components to it. One is just my um, the you know, content and online content, and one part is it my is my podcast, Lessons over with the Greats, which just interviews the greats of world cricket, so digging deeper into just the things that. That they learnt throughout their career um, and their life about what made them so good. It's technically, mentally, um, on and off the field, that sort of thing. Um, but then, so that's the one one part is the content. But the sort of the bigger part really is the the products, the cricket equipment. Um, you know, it's it's all about making high quality products, the best you know best in the in the market um, for more affordable prices. Um, that's why you know, my business model is going direct to consumer, which a lot of industries is you know the disruptors who come into long, you know uh, long standing industries. And the you know the the best way and easiest way to disrupt is just to um, move away from the retail um, model and the retail margins to make sure that people are getting you know it at more more affordable prices. Which cricket for me growing up, cricket gear was always very affordable. I you know my family grew up with. You know, not much money. Mum and Dad made the most of what they had, but Creepy was always affordable enough to um, to give me an opportunity to be able to do what I did. So that's um, what T20 Stars is about, is making sure that people do get the best quality products in their hands for the prices that they should be paying
0: yeah that's a great thing isn't it making the equipment affordable because shane as you would know those of us who should have given up the dream a long 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 time ago who are juggling family work and perhaps uh, rolling the arm over and, and swinging the willow on the weekend you know it's it's a balancing act with being able to afford the best equipment which of course everyone wants to be able to do
2: yeah exa- exactly right and that's across the board whether that's um entry level just to make sure it's accessible for people who are initially just getting into cricket because they just don't want like i i love Gosh, I love cricket so much, and it's you know given me the incredible life that that I've had. And I want every Australian cricketer, uh, Australian person, as much as they can, boy, boy and girl and throughout the world as well, to be able to have the opportunity to be able to get into cricket. It's not. It's never been an elite a sport. It's never been you have to have a certain amount of money to be able to, like, engage in the sport. So, you know, my, my mission is to be able to make it so it's ex- as accessible to everyone as it was when, when I first, you know, when I first really um, got into cricket.
0: You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life, all thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Next, we go to Ipswich, Queensland, and the start of a fantastic journey with Shane Watson.
1: You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives.
0: Possible by Tobin Brothers funeral celebrating lives. We're with former Aussie cricket star Shane Watson. Shane, you are born on June seventeenth, nineteen eighty-one, to parents Bob and Barb in the Queensland town. You would later be given the keys to Ipswich. What was childhood like there?
2: Oh gosh, oh, I've only got incredible memories of growing up in Ipswich. It's very much a it's very much a you know a blue-collar, hard-working sort of um, city. Uh, and and just the facilities and that were there for sport in general especially especially cricket and and rugby league in a way was just the foundations were set the pathways were set to be able to um, you know, set your sights on on your dreams. Uh, you know, for me growing up, you know, it was like uh, Alan Langer and the Walters brothers, who sort of who played uh, the highest level in rugby league, but also Craig McDermott, who came to Ipswich and saw he started you know, in the same sort of uh, teams that I was I was playing, in even even as a young kid. So I really saw that that pathway to be able to sort of you know, re- reach my reach my dreams. So um, and everyone was so incredibly supportive. Just the structures, infrastructure is in place for for sport in general it was just a I feel incredibly fortunate to have sort of grown up in in, in that in that area and then with mum and mum and dad uh, especially my dad being a you know a cricket tragic and just yeah. always absolutely loved cricket um, that was just that's how I suppose I got my love of uh, the game of cricket was through, was through my dad and then the support that mum and dad gave me and and my sister as well to um, you know drive me to to um, to cricket games or training sessions uh i certainly was always had the opportunities that were available to me because of my mum and dad so um and again that was because of because of it switching the facilities that were around to to allow you know, young 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 kids to be able to um you know well like live their dream and, and, and try and see how good they can be. Yeah,
0: I was going to ask you about your dad, Bob, and his love for the game, because he would end up spending a fair bit of time of, uh, behind the wheel, wouldn't he? A few times a week getting in <laughs> East Redlands in Brisbane for cricket, obviously, as you progressed through the ranks and through the age group.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And that was a big commitment from, from dad, especially to, uh, at the age of 16. I was working through which clubs to play in. Four in Brisbane, and each Redlands were really the the one that the most opportunities were there. Also, one of my one of my really good mates at that time, or still his um, Dane McKenzie, was playing there as well. Um, so it was a way to be able to um, get the best opportunity. So Dad, had to, it would drive me to training, it's like an hour each way every um, uh, every Wednesday Wednesday evening, um, and then drive me to games as well before I had my license. So it's a big commitment, but again, that's just what Mum and Dad did for me. Um, because they just wanted to give the you know, kids my, my sister and i every every opportunity that was was available so um and it's a great thing that Dad loved his cricket too, so it was easy he just loved um going there sitting around watching and watching cricket whether it 's the training or in the games as well so um and that 's where I suppose when things progressed to where to where they did. It was like his his dream. He now to sit there and, and his excuse to be able to watch watch test matches and, and watch cricket um, for, for a long period of time with um, not having to worry about mum sort of um, chipping away at him by just being at the cricket all the time. Yeah, the,
0: the chore list can wait, can't it, Bob? I love it. And, and I wanted to tap into, if I can, Shane, your desire. I mean, every kid who plays cricket sort of has that dream they want to play for Australia, but for you, how real was that? Was it something that drove you even at this age? I just wanted to tap into what really um, motivated you to, to to progress.
2: Yeah, I always, I always absolutely loved cricket. It was, it was always my number one. Is also is a you know, sport that I was better, the best at as well. I suppose more naturally because um, I played a lot of different sports growing up. Whether it was um, I played rugby league and in primary school and rugby union in high school, played different sports um, like tennis and you know, everything. Really, I could, I could because I just loved. Sports in general, but I always just had that this you know, deep down desire. I remember as a young kid, I think I got seven or eight. I said to my mum, watching a test match, that's what I want to do. I want to play. I want play cricket for Australia. Mm. And as, as your as your mum as your mum does, like oh that's great, it's great. You got dreams. You've just got to work hard. Um, but it got to the stage of like, as a sixteen year old. Of course, my studies were as important as as my cricket because um, yeah, it's something that mum and dad always instilled in me. But I just. I'd put all the other sports aside and just focused on cricket. And in the end, what my mindset was, I just want to be the best cricketer I could be, whatever that is. If that's uh, the best second grade cricketer I could be, or first grade cricketer, or my dream, of course, was to play for Australia, I just wanted to um, leave no stone unturned whatsoever to be able to see how good I could be. And um, I was just very fortunate that opportunities, I was right place, right time with, with certain things that um, allowed my trajectory to continue. Pretty quickly, really, from, like, you know, Queensland under-19s, Oziana Aussie, under-19, Aussie under-19s. And at that time, the Holy Grail was, was going to the cricket academy that Rod Marsh was um, in charge of, mm. because that was the sort of breeding ground of all of Australia's, just about all of Australia's best cricketers that had been through since the, um, you know, early 90s. So that was, like, the Holy Grail to get to, because if you got there, then took in everything that was there, then that was worth for everyone else, so why couldn't it work for me? Yeah. And, and that was just fortunate I got that opportunity as well
0: yeah apologies I was going to ask you about the Australian Cricket Academy so you were joined as a scholarship holder in 2000 obviously as a teenager mm-hmm. who what other names were, were in and around the mix there when you got there
2: yeah so uh, Mitch, Mitchell Johnson was there um, Nathan Horrett, uh Chris Hartley Andrew McDonald Adam Bogis, um Phil Jakes um trying to think oh yeah, I'm probably missing a couple, but it was a it was a really like it was a great intake year in a in a way, which you now a lot of those guys were on the play for Australia and if not had a really long uh, domestic first class career as well. So um but that was one of the last years that Rod Marsh took the that full time cricket academy that were there for four and a half months, like just the best. The, like what dreams are made of just to eat, sleep, breathe cricket for like the highest quality and calibre for four and a half months is just like a dream come true.
0: You formed a real friendship with Mitch Johnson and in his book, uh, he lifted the lid on some of music antics. I'm sure you've been asked this over the journey, but wrestling was a big part of life there, it seems, at the academy.
2: It, it was, and there's one, one event that I didn't realise. I, I, I didn't think happened because Mitch is much stronger than me He's <laughs> the way doing the wrestlers anyway. So if anything was going to happen, he, he was the one who was going to dominate me because he's much stronger than me, much more powerful as you'd see with his, the speed that he bowled. Um But, oh yeah, we, we, had a, we had a lot of fun. Um, and they were just like, you know, everyone sort of, in a way people's dreams and stars were in their, in their eyes about what potentially could, could lay ahead. And it was uh, just, everyone was just, you know, pushing themselves to the limits to see how good they could be.
0: The bet, the, I think the bit though that we, most of us like Shane, was that the wrestling only took place during the ad breaks on neighbours, not during, yeah, just in the that's ad right. break. Exactly,
2: that's right. Yeah, it was all on for young and oldie between the, in the breaks. We, we, <laughs> at that time, we were very much obsessed with, with neighbours, that's for sure.
0: Getting a spot in the Queensland lineup around this time, I mean, binding your time was a thing I and mean, people waited back then to break in, or at least that was the expectation. But you chose a different path, didn't you?
2: Yeah. I did, <laughs> um, which didn't go down too well with the you know, the, the, the true blue sort of old school Queenslanders in a way. But I suppose my 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 yeah my dream was always to play for Australia, and you know the step the steps to get there, of course, was to be able to play first class cricket um, as a as a starting point. And um, yeah, the guys that I went to the academy with, there wasn't too many people who had the opportunity to be able to play first class cricket. Um, so that, for me, I got an opportunity from Greg Shippard, who was the coach of Tasmania at that time. Mm. He took a big risk on, on me to to um, offer me, really, to come down to Tassie halfway through the season, play the last five Shield games and last five one-day games, and with no guarantees that I was going to get a contract or anything like that, but it's more so, let's see what you can do. Um, so it was a big risk for, for Greg Shippard to, to take, and I just saw it as an amazing opportunity to be able to just get fast track in front of you know, all the guys that I was, that I went to the academy with, just about. So um, for me, it was a no-brainer. Um, you know, the Queensland, the Queensland guys just wasn't it wasn't done. Like everyone, you know, younger cricketer coming through. You mainly sort of if you're really really good, you'd make your debut at the age of like 23, 24 if you're lucky, because it was a very um, well-established team that dominated Australian cricket for for a long period of time at that, at that stage. So there was no real opportunity. And I just, it was for me an easy decision, but it didn't go down too well with the captain, Stuart Law, who did been very kind and spent some time with me um, in the lead up to me sort of leading, uh, leaving, and Ginny Ma, who did take me under his wing because I played at his club, Beast Redlands as well. So, yeah, it sort of. It rubbed them up the wrong way a little bit which they didn't really like and made it very known that they weren't that happy but in the end it was an, an opportunity that oh, it's too hard to refuse
0: Yeah, fair enough You're with This Is Your Sporting Life brought to you by Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives just visit tobinbrothers.com.au Well Shane Watson's eventful shield the for Tasmania and his elevation to the international cricket stage are up
1: next You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives.
0: Hello, we hope you're enjoying this week's edition of This Is Your Sporting Life. We're chatting with former powerhouse Australian all-rounder Shane Watson. Shane, sledging, betrayal, genius. Shane Watson's Shield of That was the title of the piece by Adam Burnett that appeared on cricket.com.au at the start of the year, which detailed your first game for Tasmania at Shield level. And as you just touched on before the break, that simmering anger held by, well, I guess you'd describe them as the old Bulls at the time, Stuart Law and Jimmy Maher, which you I think you might have also detailed in your book, Watto. Compelling article, which I, I assume you've read.
2: Yeah, I did. Yeah, I read it. It was incredible research that Adam Burnett <laughs> did to be able to put that and piece that all together and talk to the people that he did. So, um, yeah, to be able to relive that through that article as well was, you know, was beautifully well written. Um, so, and yeah it's, it's interesting to sort of see it in in that light again but yeah look there's there's no doubt it was a it was a baptism of fire and I, I always knew like going down uh that it was going to be is going to be that way uh but I, I like in the end I wouldn't have wanted my debut any other way because it wasn't really gonna get much tougher than that to be honest with yeah. if i could absorb if i could absorb the um uh that hostility that was there as I walked out to that um through that game then I was gonna be able to absorb most things that were sort of thrown away on the cricket field. So um, it made me sort of really single swim at that stage and I suppose I just had that you know deep down determination of what I wanted to do and how um, and where I wanted to get to in a way and I just you know so determined to just allow everything sort of bounce, to bounce off me.
0: Just to paint the picture, Shane, around that hostility back in the day down in Hobart, you come to the crease on the mind you, with Tassie at, I think, 5 for 67, Queensland bowling first on, on a green-seeming wicket. Now, I don't think there were too many teenagers playing shield uh, level at that stage. Now, you're not out in both digs despite a, a heavy defeat and all manner of sledging and the like coming your way. You must have taken some satisfaction from that.
2: Oh, yeah, of course. And I suppose the biggest satisfaction was that, um, that I had the game to be able to, to, be able to deal with the quality of opposition I was playing against. Um, You know, I was was I was facing uh, Michael Kasperwitz who was you know one of the leading bowlers in Australia Joe Dawes who had an incredible um, uh, incredible record as well Adam Dale who was at the peak of his powers it was just about at that stage as well so but for me it was more so the the satisfaction that I've got the, the game the, the skill at that stage uh, even as a um, 19 or 20 year old 19 year old to be able to um, yeah, negate what they're throwing at me so um, so that was the most satisfying part more, more so than anything and, and, and again and it sort of just confirmed the decision that i would made to, uh, to move down to Tasmania to be able to sort of make the most of that incredible opportunity that Greg Shibbert had given me um, to be able to test my skills out and see see what I could do.
0: And just as an extension from that match, I guess coming to grips with, with the game at this level in your late teens, early 20s, the, the mental test, the need for a tough exterior, well, and interior, it might have mellowed a bit in recent times, but how hot was the kitchen back then if you were a shrinking violet?
2: <laughs> yeah, it's hot. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was, oh yeah there's no there's no question um yeah back then as well those um things are a little bit looser around what you know what was a what was allowed uh there's no stunt mics there's nothing on tv at that stage as well so um but again that's that's what sort of toughen, toughen you up and again it's either it's either single swim. you either got swallowed up by it or you're allowed you had techniques to allow it to bounce off you and just sort of get into the, mind, the mindset that you needed to you know to try and bring out your skill that you had so um, yeah again I wouldn't I wouldn't have it any other way it was a, it was a great exposure of um, what potentially and in the end like looking back on it um, you know, on the field the the things didn't probably get as bad like anywhere near as bad as that throughout my career. But off the field, yeah, certainly there was more more challenges that I had to develop the skills around how to navigate those.
0: You make your ODI debut against South Africa in 2002 over there. So your first overseas tour. What, what sort of welcome did a young buck get back then? One who may be seen in some quarters as not having you know was yet to pay his dues and all that sort of stuff.
2: Yeah, I, was, I suppose I was very fortunate to be able to go on my on the on a test tour, which was the first part of that, that South African yep. tour uh, to bring me in. I was like the 15th um, person on that tour, just sort of get to get me around into that environment, Aussie environment. I was never ever going to play the a test mat, uh, but that was sort of a way to be able to yeah, just find my feet in that environment. And um, yeah, there was a, a couple of people who, it took a, li- a couple of weeks at least to be able to, for them to sort of just um, accept me in into the group in a way, because you know, I hadn't paid my dues. I was only, only played really a, a year and a half of a first-class cricket at that stage, uh, but, but apart from apart from one or two people, which I fully understood because a lot of those guys paid their dues and some to get into that to get into that team. Uh, everyone else was incredibly like, like just like welcome in with open arms. Um, now Shane Steve Orr, Ricky Ponting Brett Lee those guys in particular were just like were incredible were incredible to me just the the way they allowed me in just looked after me allowed me to ask and pepper them with so many different questions about so many different parts of not just cricket but, but life as well um, the long, like, lifelong friendships that developed from from there which are again my heroes that I was able to get to know from a cricket perspective and then personally as, as things went on
0: and a. I- Look, at the at the very least touring with Shane Warne would have been fun. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, you certainly know how to knew how to have a good time on and off the field, uh, and that's a and that's the beauty of, of Warney And the beauty of Warney is just how incredibly loyal he is to his mates as well, and how much he looks after them and supports them and guides them and mentors them. And, um, and I've been so fortunate throughout my career. Um, if it wasn't for him, the opportunities that I got, the learnings that I had through whether it's through county cricket, but then also onto the IPL uh, with Warnie, captaining Rajasthan and getting me there as well. Oh, gosh, that he I mean, was instrumental. So mm. um, two. People in particular who were really instrumental in my career, and if it wasn't for them, certainly wouldn't have been able to achieve the things that I had. One was Shane Warne, and the other one, was Ricky Ponting. Yeah, with you know, his leadership, um, his makeshift, his mentorship as well. Is just with, without. Without Ricky, I certainly never would have achieved. The, and the faith that he had me, I never would achieve achieved the things I did, and the same goes with Shane yeah.
0: I was going to ask you about Ricky, Shane. I mean, he was your idol growing up, and you did make your testable, I think, three years later against Pakistan. Might have been at the SCG, and the names just jump off the page. You know, Langer, Hayden, um, McGrath, Warren, Martin, Gillespie, the list goes on and on. But I wanted to ask you about Ricky because he was your idol growing up. You are able to spend some time with him, rooming with him. I mean, that must have been incredible for you.
2: Yeah, it, it certainly was. He was From the time that he came on to National scene in '94, '95. He made his debut against Sri Lanka, and um, it was just the way he played the game. I just absolutely loved it from, a bat, from a batting point of view, and then in the field, the impact that he had was just was mesmerising. Really, so he was someone that I just aspired to and, <laughs> to be, and he was my idol. So to be able to have the opportunity by again by being down in Tasmania, he like even before I got in and around the Aussie Aussie team, he took me under his wing. He played a few, uh, a couple of Shield games for, for Tasmania. My first uh, well, my 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 first full year of, of shield cricket, and he was just incredibly good to me from from the outset. And then to be able to go on and, and play with him, him um, lead me as as captain and guide me, and the patience that he showed, especially through my injuries that I had, and and as I developed um, as a my skills. And then the most, some of the most enjoyable times that I've ever had on the cricket field was batting with Ricky, and some of the partnerships that that we had is um you to be able to do that with your with your hero growing up was um, I never took it for granted. I cherished every moment.
0: We're talking to Australian cricket superstar Shane Watson on This Is Your Sporting Life thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals celebrating lives. Injuries DRS and more right after this.
1: You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals celebrating lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals celebrating lives.
0: Hello, it's been great to have your company here on This Is Your Sporting Life, thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Shane Watson is our special guest today. Shane, before you conquered international cricket, I I think it's fair to say you had to conquer your injury problems. There was, what was there? The list goes on here. Back stress fractures, hamstring strains, calf problems, hip complaints, a dislocated shoulder, and yours was a a brittle body at this stage. I mean, how deep was the level of frustration for you or if not panic that you knew you could compete at the highest level but it could be taken away from you by forces outside your control
2: oh yeah it's incredibly frustrating um especially when i knew that my skills were were developing and 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 getting to a stage where i could um compete against the best cricketers in the world but then my body just wasn't allowing (laughs) allowing me to do it so um and i just would try different different things and different techniques to be able to try and alleviate my, my injuries and reduce the chance of that happening. Um, but yeah, I suppose the, the asset that I had as a, as a young guy was uh, how, how strong I was because I was just you know, obsessed with of, of uh, getting the best out of my body, of being a fast bowler and bowling as fast as I could. So I very much was in the gym and, and getting bigger and stronger, which was, a, which was a huge asset in my early 20s for sure that I could uh, strength-wise I could um, I could compete with you know the the best cricketers in the world, but then that sort of led to other like injuries, especially the soft tissue injuries, and that as well, uh, which just was ongoing. as trying to pull back those issues that I and you know, reverse those issues that I had because of my my strength training, especially. So it wasn't until that it just I became desperate after the after 2007, uh, the first T20 World Cup in South Africa. After I sort of strained the hamstring again, that was I, I was desperate um, as either going to have to stop bowling or to. Because that was amazing. Sort of getting injured, um, or just do something very different and radical, which which I did. I was, I was able to find a, a sort of a guru who was based in Brisbane who worked been with the Brisbane Lions through their sort of glory days and the um, glory years through the early 2000s and he sort of helped educate me and rebuild my, my body really um, and it took about 18 months to, to re- rebuild my, my body and then it got to a stage where I was much more resilient I still had a few little hiccups here and there but it certainly was much much more resilient that was when also because I felt like because my injuries like I was never gonna see how good I could be on the international stage that that um, my injury sort of resilient or body resilient coincided with my freedom I had, that I had in my mind to be able to go out and just enjoy the pleasure I had of you know, doing what I dreamed as a kid and that freedom sort of just came into the game and then I got lucky that the opportunity came along to open the batting in um, 2009 in the Ashes series the third test in Edgbaston and I had the freedom and the mind at that stage as well so you know, things just sort of went from there which I which right place, right time with my, head, my mindset and my the skill set at that stage and I could make the most of it.
0: The physio you speak of that was uh, Victor Popov wasn't it?
2: Yeah absolutely yeah, he was a gen- yeah, genius yeah. just a how he understands the human body and um you know the, the different ways it's a sort of holistic um, being how you know, to be able to sort of get the best out of it and, and re engineer it at certain times which you have to you have to do with me. Um Gosh, it wasn't him? I, I would have been about him through and through from you know, 2007 onwards.
1: Yeah, but you
0: broke the mold though with that, didn't you? Because you invested in him, I think full time. He was by your side all mm. the time, which you know, in a setup like the Australian cricket team, all those staff are already on board. Of course, so did you mm. did you rub a few people up the wrong way with that? And, and secondary <laughs> to that, such was the desperation, did you even care at the time? <laughs>
2: Good questions, both of those. Um, one, I did rub some people up the wrong way. Um, Ricky was incredible about it, so I had I had Ricky's support, so I know I knew that I was protected, and it, he was just going to make sure that um, the the noise that was going on, that he'd just not not let that come in whatsoever. Um, so if it wasn't for Ricky's support, then it wouldn't have, it just wouldn't have worked. But um, because of him, it certainly did. But um, yeah, it certainly rubbed people up the wrong way. Um, but because I was so desperate, I yeah, I didn't care. I didn't care. I Managed it as well as I possibly could, um, and again, Ricky really helped me try and manage that as well as well as I could as well. But I was so desperate to go, you know, I just I want to see how good I can be. And that was investing in myself as a. It was at that at that time a significant investment into my body. And that was, um, you know, that was a year or two into sort of Lee and I, my wife sort of wasn't my wife that stage, but um, together and as a it was a joint decision to, you know, I just I have to invest in this. I have to invest in myself to see how good I can be because I'd hate to sort of look back and know that I didn't give it everything I could to see whether I could be the all rounder whether my body could actually support what I'm trying to do. Yeah. And um, and in the end, it was the best in, the best investment <laughs> that I, that I ever made to be able to have in full time he was full time with me on tour for, for 12 months um, and yeah it was just it was an, yeah it was an incredible time to have that uh, person with me and it was not just physically working with me it was also mentally sort of working through how to navigate you know the different physical and body challenges as well which was which was that's a very right place right time
0: yeah I mean you mentioned your, your power and your size you went from weights to Pilates you got off the alcohol completely you started meditating mm-hmm. yoga and look you mentioned the opening uh, chance to open the batting for a period of time you really reaped the reward I wanted to ask you about three letters DRS. So, how would you describe your relationship with with DRS over the course of your career, Shane?
2: <laughs> um, naive. <laughs> that's that's just probably simple as it is. I was very naive around how to how to use it um, because growing up, I mean, growing up, you're always yeah. you got to accept the umpire's decision. So that's how it always was, and then it came to was that. Like. 27, 28, uh, a long way into my career that all of a sudden you've got you've got a chance to a question to question the umpires. And um, I just didn't do my, I didn't sit down and sort of do my math well enough about the probabilities of things getting overturned or not. Um, it was more so gut feel and my gut feel was, of course I didn't want to get out. <laughs> I hated getting out. So my gut feel was always uh, skewed towards one way. Um, but so if I had my time again, that would probably be the time where I did go onto social media and get the sort of read the room, read the room a little bit more to understand what people were saying, just to stop it. Um, I, I went a little bit too far, of, of um, still trying to use it, still feeling like I could use it um, well. Um, and I should have just read the room earlier and just stopped. And it would have saved me a lot of time. Uh, yeah, sledging. And on and off the field.
0: I should add, though, it's not like we've really improved in this space. It must be said, but I'm sure you'd be you'd be jack of this too, Shane. But if you could indulge us for a second here, can you recount the story involving Chris Rogers? I think the ashes of of 2013. If you'd be so kind, yeah. um, uh,
2: <laughs> Chris Rogers is. Gosh, he's he's one of the most. Enjoy, it. like he's one of the best teammates I ever played with. Just yep. is just is a genuinely good person, um, and I just loved batting with him because he just had so much control over his game. It was just super impressive to be able to, to be able to bat with. Uh, but yeah, this is a time at um, at Lord um another sort of LB close LBW shout. Um, and as you do, you sort of walk up to your mate and uh, say, "What do you think?" I said, "I felt like it felt like it's out." um This, and he's like, mm, "I think I might have hit you." you outside the line or it might have been down leg whichever one it was because i think you should should review it um and that was probably the tip it <laughs> was probably the icing on the cake um that 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 one i think after that i'm pretty sure i reined it in because that was sort of like the yeah the tip of the iceberg where i just got absolutely heckled um from all all parts really so um but that's again you're going with your gut feel so that's that's all part of um learning this new um technology how to use it and um gut feel with that technology you no know, it doesn't work
0: oh yeah poor bugger just a small one on the- this one. It became known as, as Homework Gate. Obviously, it occurred around that, that sort of time as well, when obviously yourself and Mitch Johnson, Usman Khawaja and James Pattinson were sent home, if you like, for failing to complete a task that centred around how the team and individuals could improve. We know all that. Mark Wall said he'd never heard of anything so stupid in his life. I mean, how has that small chapter in your career lived on with you, Shane,
2: if at all? Oh, now it doesn't, hasn't lived on with me now at all. Uh, for, for a couple of years, it certainly did. Uh, there were some scars uh, for me personally, but also those other three guys who were, who were involved as well, um, and but, but like in the end, like like every sort of thing that pops up in life, and especially the challenges and the and the, the negative sort of things that are, that happen to you, it's one of the it is the time when you learn the most, um, and you have to um, to be able to work through next time this a situation that arose, whether it's as a coach in the future or you know, as a player and educating and guiding you know, people who are coming through a team environment as well. It's just, it was a great it was a great learning experience, but yeah, it certainly was a it was a difficult time um you know to know that uh yeah, you'd done something and, and growing up, you always knew what what the if you did something inappropriate that what what could lead to being suspended from a test match, but that certainly wasn't one of the things that was on my list yeah at that stage, and it wasn't on just about everyone's list but again, it's just one of those one of those things that um if I had that time again, there's a couple of things that um I probably politically would have done a little bit differently. But in the end, what I was, I was just standing true to what I believed in and what I'd been educated on, how to an environment, sort of a successful environment um, worked and, and grew because that's always my education coming through as a 20-year-old as a, you know, within one of my successful eras in Australian cricket. So I just always stayed true to that. But politically, I probably would have just been a little bit more, yeah, played things a little bit differently to not get caught up in the,
0: crossfire. Yeah, and it probably should be noted that the coach at the time, Mickey Arthur, I think in the years since has expressed some regret over it all as well. Hey Shane, we referenced the 185 not out earlier, the highest ODI score by an Australian. It was against Bangladesh in 2011, off 96 balls. I mean, you had many many matches where you found yourself you know quote unquote in the zone i just wanted to ask you what that felt like when you're really humming when you're seeing them like a, a beach ball what does that feel like as a professional batsman athlete to just be at the peak of your powers out there in the middle
2: oh yeah, that's what you're always chasing um, and that's just not as an athlete that's in everything that you're, every walk of life you're always trying to find that that space where you can get to where it's just it's it's effortless in a way, and you just wish you could like turn that on every time you go out, every time you need to perform in whatever you do. Um, and that was, and that was just a situation where it was, this, it was more so the the circumstances came together. Like it was, we bowled first. It was very hot in Bangladesh. So of the I was opening the batting, and in the end, I was like, I was too cooked. Like it was too hot to run. So in the end, I just took like just took it on, <laughs> and kept taking it on because I couldn't. Like it was just too hot um to be able to um to to be able to run so i suppose i just kept going at it there he goes for the big one again
1: it's going all the
2: way for maximum into the stands goodness gracious that is a splendid strike and it was just one of those days where um you know the bowlers the matchups the wickets uh, the wicket at the time as well uh it was a beautiful wicket to bat on uh and it just sort of came it came together and <laughs> before i knew it um Yeah, we'd won the game fairly quickly. He's not quite finished, another one.
1: Well, this is bigger than anything that you can see. Smile, smile, Watson. Well, this is absolutely fantastic from Watson. This one was massive, bigger than the uh, other one. Six, number 13. This is unbelievable stuff. This is one-of-a-kind innings, one-of-a-kind knock. From Watson, it's been a pure pleasure watching him.
0: A couple of quick ones before we let you go. Fastest bowler you faced?
2: Fastest bowler I faced was Shahabakar uh, mm. um, in a in a one day game that we played as a as a winter series that we played. Is actually at the Gabba this game. Shahabakar got four a uh, five first, not many. Uh, the ball was reversing very early, about the thirteenth or fourteenth over, and uh, it was my twenty first birthday, uh, and yeah, it was. Crazy fast, like so 157, 158. It was the first time I'd sort of faced it to that extent, that, that speed. Uh, so I remember that in yeah, very clearly because that was, yeah, you know, at least, hardly saw the ball and my <laughs> reflexes fully hadn't developed at that stage as well. So. Unbelievable. So that was a, a big test, yeah.
0: Unbelievable. Most treasured, we'll start with individual, we'll do team as well, but most individual moment in cricket, what's your most treasured?
2: Oh, my gosh. Individual, <laughs> uh, it's it's hard to. Oh. Or or let's go. It's hard, go to, give, with, it's hard to give. It's hard to give one in particular because I've just there's been so many like that I feel so fortunate to have, yeah. have achieved throughout my career. Um, yeah. You know, for for Australia individually, uh, there's probably three innings and one one is my, my high score at the at the Oval in the Ashes Test 2013 to be able to bat like that after sort of the issues that I had. Uh, especially the LBW issues that I had in the lead up to that um, throughout that series, um, but probably the one, the 161, the uh, MCG in a one day game against England, uh, that was probably um, after having us getting losing that Ashes series in twenty 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 2010 uh, 11, to be able to then bat like that in the first sort of one day game against England at the MCG was was very very special and from a 2020 perspective for Australia was my high score against India like in 2016 after you know I'd been sort of dropped from test cricket and one day cricket um to to know that I still had that um that skill inside of me was um it was very memorable.
0: Well, I did put you on the spot there and the reflexes are, are sharp off the pitches they were on. Shane Watson, been an absolute <laughs> pleasure to talk today. What a heck of a journey it's been and what a resume you, you have to now show for it. I mean, you're, you had an immense talent from a young age, that was clear, but your conviction and your unrelenting determination made you a champion and you were never scared to do things your way. The setbacks you encountered with your body would have seen many chuck it in. Well done on all you achieved. Best of luck with what's to come as well. T20stars.com is the website for your latest venture. It looks magnificent and and such a a worthy uh, pursuit. Thanks a lot for joining us on Sporting Life. Oh,
2: you're you're incredibly kind. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you.
0: And thank you for joining us also. You've been listening to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. Jump online. You can find them at tobinbrothers.com.au and we'll catch you the next week to celebrate the life of another sporting icon.